This is a talk that I gave to a group of Christians. I asked them to come active in caring for the persecuted Christians around the world under Islam. If I were talking to Buddhists, atheists, or Jews, I would ask them to do the same thing, to help all those who are persecuted under Islam, which includes the Christians. We need to face the fact that whereas Kafirs, non-Muslims, may create a lot of divisions amongst themselves based on religion, amongst other things, that under Islam we're all Kafirs, and it will cause us all to submit. Therefore, we must unite together instead of attacking or ignoring each other. The audience may change, but the doctrine of the Kafir never does. Thank you. Well, my topic for today is a simple one. Why political Islam is winning in the United States and why we are losing. Those two things go together. And so one of the things I want to talk to you today about is why we're losing and how that can be corrected. My inbox is an interesting place, but about, oh, about election time, I got all kinds of panic because all of a sudden there were candidates who were Muslim who were running for office and they won. More panic, more alarm. Now the thing here is, is that the triumph of the Muslims who ran for office was planned 20 years ago. Whereas most people's response to this event was simply, what? They're, they're running for office? They told you they were going to run for office 20, 30 years ago. So what we see here is that Islam is capable of fantastic strategic planning. As a matter of fact, I'll say this, no one plans as well as the Muslim Brotherhood on strategic vision. Anybody. They plan 10, 20 years out. Now, oh, they prepare more than that. They also plan generational out. Now, let me assure you something that the situation is worse than you think it is because those people who are supposed to help us push back on this issue are asleep at the wheel. By the way, for the Kafir, the non-Muslim, there is no such thing as a strategic vision. I don't know of it if it's a guess, and I would know about it, I think. We do not have a general strategic vision. For instance, I got an email this morning. This guy said, I'm from Texas. I want to do something. What can I do? Well, what can he do? Because right now, all we've done up to this stage of the game is to educate ourselves. But what are we doing for others? So I think that's a dreadful thing. We have to come up in a very short period of time, something that everyone can work on if they want to do something. And by the way, forwarding an email is not doing anything. Giving a link to a great web page is not doing anything. A great YouTube video is not doing anything. When I talk about doing something, if you're going to be doing something, it needs to be done on some sort of regular basis. What are you doing on a daily basis? What are you doing on a weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis? But just another good link, nah, I mean it's useful, but it's not going to win the war. There's a difference in mental attitude here. When you deal with Muslims, it's real clear. They want to win. When you deal with us, we want to tie. Because we're nice people. Nice is killing us. It's okay to have a smile, but you need to have something behind the smile that's a long-range strategic vision. So we don't have one. We have a near enemy and a far enemy. The near enemy are those who support Islam, even though they're not Muslims, the far enemy is political Islam itself. What's killing us is the near enemy. I, for instance, have never been harmed by a Muslim. I've never been threatened by a Muslim. Do you know who takes me down at the knees? Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. 
Then we go to move into the churches. We have churches who are absolute silent in the face of persecution around the world. So the near enemy is who we need to attack. Never mind attacking Muslims. We need to attack those, for instance, to give an ex religious example, we need to attack those ministers, for instance, who refuse to stand up for the persecuted church. They're the near enemy. We will defeat the far enemy by defeating the near enemy. So there's a strategic part of my strategic vision. is concentrate on the people who are supporting Islam, even though they, if they knew enough about Islam, they would not be doing that. Now another thing when you deal with Islam, you learn, I'm a certain admirer of Islam, political Islam, because they do it so well. Let me give you an example. The long green. Money. If I wanted to run for mayor of this, uh, run for any office, let's say I wanted to run for governor, and I were a Muslim, do you know how big my war chest would be? Big. I sat in a mosque in Southern California and watched $18,000 be raised in less than 10 minutes for the purpose of lawfare. Do you know what lawfare is? Hassling people such as me with, with frivolous lawsuits. $18,000 and there were about 50 people in the room. Now there were other people in the room that were behind a screen. Those are the women. I don't know how many of them there were. But I challenge you to stand up in front of any group of conservatives and come up with in five minutes time with $18,000 worth of cash for a good conservative project. I want to be there when you do that. <laughs> now the reason they're generous with contributions is their Quran commands them to be generous. They actually read that stuff, and then they do what it says. Amazing. So as a result, they have more money than they need for political operations. Now then, I mentioned to you the people that are harming me are the people like us. That is, they're not Muslims, but they are implementing Sharia by just saying, for instance, you shouldn't slander anybody. Well, now, when I, we use that term slander, what do we mean? We mean telling something that's false. But in Islam, the reason you don't want to slander somebody is slander is determined by something they just don't like. So that's what we've succumbed to. It's like we don't want to offend. So in that sense, when we don't want to offend, we're obeying Sharia law. But anyway, my big problem is censorship. I remember when the web was opened up, it was like it was a voice for everybody. Remember that? And up to about two years ago, that worked fine for me. My sales of books were increasing at a rapid pace. And then all of a sudden, the Southern Poverty Law Center said, you know, people like Bill shouldn't be allowed to have business at all. And they declared that they were going to shut people such as me down. By the way, Southern Poverty Law Center talking about lawfare, they're worth about a third of a billion dollars. I can't fight against that. So as a result, all of a sudden, the sale of my books, which is what I use to finance what I do, dropped by 60%. Twitter, I was getting one to 2,000 new followers every month. Now I get 50. I have people sign up for, for uh, Facebook and say, used to put videos on every week. What happened to them? Well, I put them up. You just don't hear about it. So censorship is our main problem right now. And by the way, it is going to get much, much worse. And I'm not sure what we're going to do about it. We're involved in a civilizational war. What do I mean by civilizational war? Our civilization is based on two key principles. The golden rule, do I need to explain that to you? <laughs> That's the ethical cornerstone. Then we have another thing which is critical thought. That's what our intellectual foundation is. What's happening is on the web and other such places, the reason they're censoring us is they can't out-debate such people as myself, Robert Spencer, David Wood, or any others. 
So they say, well, we can't out-debate them, we can't out-argue them, so just turn the channel off. So that's our biggest problem right now, is censorship. And what we're going to do about it, I'm not sure. Although it does have one possible advantage, which is this. We might start meeting each other more. Because if you're going to really influence people, I don't care how many Facebook posts you make, there's nothing like doing it face-to-face. -face. Now I'll talk to you another reason about why we're losing. Because we act like losers. Let me show you an example. If you go to the Muslim meetings, it's Allah Akbar. If you go to our meetings, it's, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? Now, if you had the access to the team training rooms before a big game, and one, and one team is going like this, and the other is going like this, you decide you need to bet some money, who would you bet on winning? That's right, the one with the good morale. What do I mean by bad morale? What are we going to do is bad morale. Oh, they're winning. Sweden is toast. France is going down. English is rubbish. It's all collapsing. This is negative talk. It has an effect, which is defective depression, and we need to be optimistic. So we need, one of the reasons we're losers is we talk like losers. Now, I know you don't think of yourself as losers, but how else do we explain the fact that we're losing? In this simple calculus? Okay. One of the things we find is, is those foundations that should be supporting us are not doing that. This includes law enforcement, universities, pulpits. By the way, I have a comment to make here. The strongest support of the Muslim group in Nashville, Tennessee and Middle Tennessee is the pulpit. I'm probably offending some people here, but I'm just telling the truth. Let me give you an example. We just had the governor here. The last governor pulled together AMAC, and AMAC did a training for law enforcement that the governor was over. I think that includes Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and Highway Patrol. Now, I got an access to what the Muslims told the law enforcement, which was, we just want to be a religion here in Tennessee. We don't want to be victims. Why, why, why? Now then, let's say you're a TBI member, and you go to your minister, and you say to him, this man who's a Muslim said, we all worship the same God. And your minister goes, yep, that's true. Do you realize what just happened then, and what, do you realize what should have happened? By the way, another thing that's happening you're not maybe aware of is, is that Muslims are converting children in school. They're trained how to do so. Now then, why aren't we trained on how to resist that? It's just a simple question. Let me, say, let me explain the process of how you convert a high school student or any other Christian. The first thing you advance is, we all worship the same God. That's where it starts. Once you give them that toehold, the rest of the way it comes in. This is all laid out in a plan called DAWA, D-A-W-A-H. It's clearly laid out. It's not any secret. But who knows it? And why do we use it? I think that, for instance, churches should do two things about its young people. Number one, the women in the church need to explain to the women and the younger sisters in the church what love jihad is. Okay? And they also need to explain to their children about how the process of conversion starts when they tell you we worship the same God. That is not true. So this is something we should be doing, but we're not doing, and if you're not doing what you should be doing, you're losing. And there's no reason to lose. Now another reason we lose is this. Islam is an amazing thing. It sees itself as a, as a monolith, but what happens is when people face it, they start breaking up into smaller groups. If I, for instance, I get people talking all the time, well, 
Well, it's the Jesuits. Uh, it's the Catholics. It's the Jews. It's the Talmud. It's this. It's that. And then if you get down to Christians, they start picking on each other. So we need to unify in face of a bigger problem instead of picking on ourselves saying, well, you know, I don't really agree with him even though he should be on my side, but I don't like him. And so what happens is we start arguing and debating amongst ourselves instead of dealing with the real problem. Textbooks. Where is Jackie? <laughs> textbooks. There's a lot of work being done on textbooks, and what they show is the textbooks are biased. My question to you is, where's the outrage? Is it possible to get anyone outraged anymore? Is there such thing as righteous indignation, moral outrage? We've lost that ability, which is a terrible thing to lose, because righteous anger could be a good cleansing product. Now then, we can win. This is easy to do if we decided it's war instead of nice. But we seem to be allergic to that. We want to be nice. I'll tell you, the nice thing is really killing us. Now then, let me explain to you one of the reasons we can win. We have a historical first in human history. For the first time in human history, the doctrine of Islam is made easy to understand. Anyone who can even go through Tennessee high schools can easily understand political Islam now. All right? because it's all been made simple to understand. You need to understand that this is a rare thing. By the way, Ray, could you reach that bottle of water behind you right there and bring it to me? The bottle of water behind you? I not only didn't turn on my stopwatch, it didn't bring my water up here. What's this guy gonna do? No, I'm not getting old. Let me assure you, I am old. I'm 78. 78. Earned it, too. <laughs> Debbie? How many push-ups did you do this morning? Well, let's just say I'm still in shape. <laughs> Look, I've got a lot of fighting to do. I've got to live. Because how, how can you fight when you're dead? But let me tell you something. It is a pressure behind me. Because I realize I do have a short time here. And so therefore, instead of slacking off, I fight harder. I recommend it to you. <laughs> the other thing that's the uh, first that's ever happened is, is that apostates are known. It used to be that apostates from Islam, no one knew who they were. There's enough apostates from Islam that now then they're beginning to speak out and join together in groups. The apostate is a wonderful weapon against Islam because you can never say to him, well, do you speak Arabic? It happens to be my native tongue. Do you know Islam? I know it enough that I've left it. So, these are two advantages that we have now in our war. We have good knowledge, a basis to fight on, and we have people who can lead us and instruct us on the true nature of Islam who have been inside it. They're like spies, if you will. The other thing we need to develop is the mind of war, not the mind of worry, but that is the mind of war. It reorganizes your priorities. My priority on every day is after I brush my teeth, do the breakfast, is what can I do to put my thumb in my eye today? <laughs> I do it every day. I recommend it to you. I am at war. Most of you are at worry. What are we going to do? So you need to look at your mental attitude once again. We hear a lot of talk about free speech, but I don't think we're having enough free speech because one of the things we need to do is we need to 
I, by the way, am not the person you think I am. When I was young, I was a hippie. I was part of the civil rights movement. I lived in communes. So I'm not who you think I am, okay? <laughs> now, why did I want to tell you that story? That's the 78 years. <laughs> That's, oh, ah, I remember now. I recovered it. So now you're an apostate. Right. <laughs> we used free speech in demonstrations. We used free speech in civil disobedience. We need to develop a bit a little more sass so that we, as a group, present ideas that we cannot present as individuals. Talk about things that we need to do. And so we need a lot more free speech and it needs to be radical in the sense of we need to be offending our enemies. Right now we don't want to offend anybody. I'll tell you how you'll know when this war is being won. When Christians are beginning to convert Muslims in big batches. By the way, in the United States it is estimated that 21% of all Muslims aren't Muslims. That is, they've left Islam, they don't believe in Allah, they don't believe in the Quran, but they're part of a larger social community, so they don't leave publicly, but they've left privately. I tell you this just in order to know to give you a little hope that things may not be as bad as you think they are. We need to live in a world in which political Islam can be criticized like the Republicans, the Democrats, or whoever else, Bernie Sanders. We need free and open criticism. By the way, criticism is part of critical thought. So we need to develop more of that, more debates, and more offending people. Look, I offend people every day, <laughs> mostly just by getting up in the morning. <laughs> but I recommend it to you. Start offending people. The truth can be a little raw. Would you go out looking for people? <laughs> I find them. <laughs> well, you have to understand that they find me as well. I'm fairly well known, I'm fairly well known as, an, as an offensive person. All right. What would winning look like? Winning would mean that in our schools, our public schools, we teach the truth of the Quran, we teach the truth of Sunnah of Muhammad, we teach the truth of the Sharia. Wait a minute, Bill, you want to teach about Islam? You better believe I want to treat about Islam. The best thing to deal with Islam is, is more Islam. And so, in a world in which we win, not only would you tell casual jokes about Muhammad, because you can tell, who, has anybody here ever heard a joke about Jesus or St. Peter? Of course you have. We need some more Muhammad jokes. I'm talking about radical free speech here, gang. Tell you something else what happened when we start winning. That is, when Christians become outraged at what happens to Christians in Africa, what happens to Christians in Middle East. I thought when ISIS was at full roar that surely groups of Christian sex slaves would be offensive to people and something would be said. Just went right on by. I didn't see any outrage. How can you not be outraged when Christian women are put in for group sex, sex slaves? I mean, then Christians are tortured to death. What will cause outrage? We need some outrage here. By the way, Let's talk about taking care of pub, uh, Christians who are persecuted. This is not only the job of Christians, it is also the job of atheists and anyone else who has any human rights ability in them at all. Because Christians are the most persecuted group on the face of the earth. So this is not just a Christian battle, it should also, like I say, atheists ought to be on this as well. Why should a person be criticized or tortured to death, their head cut off, simply because of what they believe God is? Feminists would oppose Sharia, for instance. And we need to bring this up. How can, any group, how can any group of people who calls themselves a feminist 
support Sharia in any way, shape, or form. But you always see it in parades, it's feminist and they got hijabs on. Not good. This means we have feminists who need to be educated as to what the Sharia does say about those hijabs and why they have to be worn. Let's talk about some projects and things you can do. Like the man said in my inbox, what can I do? If you are a Christian and go to church with any degree, why can't your church offer an occasional prayer for the persecuted Christian? I got a leather letter, email in my inbox. A man said he moved, he moved to, I don't know where it was, he moved to, and he was the, went to his normal church, and he wanted to pray for the Christians, and they pretty well let him know that that would not be happening in this church. <laughs> I don't make this stuff up. I don't need to make it up. So he went to another church. He had to shop for quite a few churches before they would allow him to lead a prayer for the persecuted Christians. That's wrong. Yeah. Do you think I'm kidding when I say that they won't do it? The other thing we need to do here is we need to talk to persecuted Christians who are here from Africa and who are here from the Middle East. If you have a church, you need to be doing that. Bring them in. I talked one time with a, cost, with a Coptic priest. That is, he's of the... Uh, Egyptian brand of orthodoxy and asking me that any minister who is other than Coptic ever invited him for a cup of coffee or ever wanted to talk to him he says no I never heard of that talk to these people they're remarkable if you have a church bring the apostates in and listen to what they have to say they're remarkable so there are things that we can do I had a group approach me in Cookville there was a dozen Christians they've been studying for a year on my books and they said, what can we now start to do? And so my wife and I went down and talked with them for two hours. And we gave them two projects. The first project was mapping Islam. That is, in Putnam County in Cookville, exactly, you say there's a problem. Well, exactly who's doing what and where are they and what are their connections? So it's a mapping project. And what will happen is, is I know in the Czech Republic, for instance, where I have an organization, they said, we don't have any Muslim Brotherhood here. So my wife taught them how to do this follow the mapping process so you just find out who is doing what. Three months later they're like, oh my word, we're eating up. <laughs> and the influence was always at high places. So the other thing we told them was is that in Putnam County, make sure that you set a task of going to every church in Putnam County and asking them will they pray for the persecuted church. Simple request. They're supposed to do it anyway. So those were the two projects we gave them. Now, here's a fantasy I've always had. Are you all familiar with what interfaith gatherings? <laughs> They're a fabulous thing, but the ones that I've been to, the Christians and the Jews are just like, how can we bow low enough? What I've always wanted to see happen was, it's an interfaith gathering, and the people are there are loaded for bear. I would, I would pay big dollars just to see that happen. Just once to see the Muslim Brotherhood have their knees taken out from under them. Hasn't happened yet, but why can't it happen? Asia Bibi. Anybody know what that means? How many people know what Asia Bibi means? All right. I find as an old man it's more important sometimes what didn't happen as to what does happen. What happened in the United States with Asia Bibi? Did we give her refuge? Why did we not give her refuge? Because our politicians know we don't care. I see that as a probe into the psyche of America. 
when a woman who's being would be served up with vigilante justice because she drank a glass of water before she gave it to a Muslim and we're just like whatever it's not a good thing people who are being persecuted should be open to come to the United States not kept away I, I don't know where the woman ever wound up Does any, I don't even know but I tell you I think it was Canada I'm not sure. But the point is, is that once again, was there any outcry? Bring this woman to us. It seems to me like that should be done. And by the way, I've been harping on Christians because, uh, harping on them because those are what's in front of me. If there were a bunch of Buddhists, I'd give the same lecture, only it'd have to do with Buddhists. If it was all Catholics, I'd do the same thing except I'd deal with the Catholics. The dis the discouraging thing is, it doesn't really make any difference what group you're in, everyone has the same reaction, which is, what are we going to do, and let's be nice. Now, hopefully I've raked enough of you all over the coals that you're realizing you're slightly uncomfortable now, because I want you to stop and think, because let me assure you, we are losing the war. And the parts of it that are supposed to push back are not pushing back. The schools aren't pushing back, law enforcement isn't pushing back, the military's not pushing back, nobody's pushing back. They're supposed to protect us and give us a foundation, but that is not happening. But this can be done. It is a very doable thing. The ones we need to oppose are not Muslims. The ones we need to oppose are those who do the bidding of Muslims. Those are our things that we need to do. So, I think I've raked you over the coals enough. Now we'll open it up for questions.